Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. I feel so looked after. Thanks, friends. Thanks for your patience there. Hello. Hi. How are you? Um, my name is Crooksy. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet before, I'm the lead pastor over at the Southside location of Rehope. So grateful uh, for a chance to get to come and speak to you guys here today. And we're kind of like hitting the, the tail end of that exam assessment season, like maybe some of you guys, like medical students on placement. Am I muted? Just closer to my mouth. It's the first time I've been told that I'm too quiet. What a fun day for me. Um, Yeah, I really want to bless you if you find yourself in like exam season, um, like maybe like medical students on placement, um, however it is. And like this week I was reading in Exodus and there's this instruction about the Sabbath where God is like, even in the seasons for plowing and harvesting, still let the, fest, the fields rest on the Sabbath. And um, I just took from that that God recognizes and knows that there will be seasons in our lives where the temptation to like make those compromises um, is real and he sees you in that, but um, he calls us to be faithful, and there's blessing in trusting him in, in these seasons. So we want to say thank you for doing that and staying faithful to church and your Jesus times, like in um, this like heavier season. And um, I'd love to bless you with clarity of mind as you study, with peace that you can be free from stress and worry as you sit your exams, write your papers, go on placement, whatever it is. I bless you with good rest, and I bless you with great amounts of success. In Jesus' name, amen. And then for all of us, I bless you in the name of Jesus to know Jesus even more wonderfully today. I bless you to receive healing in your body and in your mind and your emotions and in your spirit today. I bless you with guidance and help from God so that you can flourish in whatever circumstances you find yourselves in so that you can prevail. And I bless you to know the love and the joy and the hope and the peace of God today. May it be. Friends, today we're going to be talking about um, a story that's it's a classic um, it's a story of the dude whose pals dig a hole in the roof and lower him down to Jesus. And the picture up on the screen is of a hole in a roof as opposed to like building faith and it looks like it's falling down. Like the picture, the important part is the hole in the roof. And uh, we're going to be thinking about the reactions of the main players in the story and what we can learn from them as they respond to Jesus. And we're going to be taking it mostly from uh, Mark chapter 2, and maybe dip a little bit into Matthew and look as we go along too. So um, let's jump on in there and read it from uh, Mark chapter two, verse one. Says, when he entered Capernaum, again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. 
and they came to bring him a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying and seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic's son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, great. Uh, Probably not what they were hoping for, but like genuinely great, like actually great. Really bold moves by those pals, right? And they're just going for it. And everything in this part of the story seems so high-paced. When I was reading through Mark for Bible read-through this week, I caught myself thinking that Mark is probably my least favorite of the gospel accounts. And it's not that I don't like it, like I love it, but it's just kind of the one that I find myself going to least. And I wondered why that was. And like Matthew feels like he takes himself very seriously. And I really appreciate that about Matthew. And Luke likes to tell the full story. And I love that. And John is just out there doing like his own thing. And I'm here for it. But Mark, like, oh, it's just pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mark's great. And then it hit me. Here's the thing that can help me to appreciate Mark more. It's that he gets there faster. And welcome to the walking, talking, breathing contradiction that I am, that I want you to tell the full story and I want you to get there faster. Da-da, here I am. Mark gets there fast. This story comes in chapter 2 of Mark, chapter 9 of Matthew, and Mark is straight out of the blocks, man. He's got so much stuff to tell you about Jesus, and he is not going to waste any time. By the time you get to like the end of the first, like 13, like into verse 14 of Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist has started and finished his thing. Jesus has been baptized and tempted. He's about to start his ministry. Mark gets in there fast. He's like the Christmas story, skip. We'll... <laughs> okay then. And the majority of the time that Mark spends in the first chapter of his gospel account is devoted to Jesus' ministry and a particular focus put on his preaching and miracles. And all of the stuff that Mark reports in this first chapter happens in the Galilee region in northern Israel, where Jesus is from. But Mark makes sure um, to make specific mention to the town of Capernaum, where Jesus has kind of set up like a little bit of a home base. And where we pick up the story in chapter two, um, Jesus and the disciples that he has called so far have been out and about in the Galilee region. Jesus has been teaching and preaching and healing people and driving out unclean spirits and doing all the classic Jesus-y stuff. And then he's back in Capernaum. And news spreads through the town that Jesus is about. So everybody piles into this one house to hear what he has got to say. And I mean everyone. Luke gives us all the details on this. Classic Luke. He says, on one of those days while he was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. So the normal dudes from Capernaum and the Galilee region, they're all there, but also there are the bigwigs who have traveled a long way to hear what Jesus has to say. Everyone is there, piled in. And that makes sense. So we've already seen that these are the kinds of things that Jesus has been doing in the area. We'll just pop that wee list back up there. Bingo. 
And Mark reports, when he's talking about these things, he reports people's reaction to these events, and he shows that they recognize that Jesus has authority in each of these specific areas. And Mark is teaching us from the first chapter and a bit of his gospel account that Jesus has an authority about him for sure. And that authority touches everything that he says and does. And that's the vibe of what the people are expecting when they showed up to that house that day, that there is a new teaching from Jesus. And with Jesus, there's authority behind him and behind that teaching. Now, because of what we might already know about them, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law being there does kind of give us that like dun-dun-dun about them being there. You're kind of like, hmm, why are you here? What's your motivation for being here? But for the majority of the dudes that are there, like we have a pretty good idea of what their motivation is, and especially the pals who bring the dude who can't walk. We know their motivation for sure. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has been at someone's house and it's got absolutely mobbed. We crowds of people seeking deliverance from illness and disease and the demonic. It's not even the first time that it's happened in Capernaum. Mark chapter 1, 32 and 34 tells us about this. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought him all those who were sick and demon-possessed the whole town assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he drove out many demons. And get this, he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Like see that authority flavor coming out there and how Mark reports this, what Jesus says goes. And even in this early stage of his ministry, Jesus shows that he has the authority to do all these things on earth. And he's already done that a bunch of times in Capernaum. And maybe those pals missed out on the first time to bring their friend to Jesus. But are they going to miss out on their second chance? No, sir. Are they going to be like, oh no, we can't get in the house. What are we going to do? Give up? No, sir. Are they going to wait until maybe people clear out and there's a more accessible time? No, they're not. Like, are they going to hope that maybe someone has pity on them and lets them in? No, ma'am. They are going to take matters into their own hands and they are going to do whatever it takes to get their buddy to Jesus to get him the help that he needs. That's the place that their faith is at at the start of this story. But let me ask you this thing, though. Does faith just come out of nowhere. I mean, Jesus saw their faith and he was moved to help. Like their faith was like something to be remarked, but where did it come from? And something that struck me as we went through the Alpha course this winter was how if we consider faith to be like just blind faith, we're like pretty much like misrepresenting how faith works most of the time. Like instead of just choosing blind faith, we can say, I have examined the evidence and I've chosen to believe it. And because God has done this thing before, I'm so confident. I have so much faith that he can do it again. Or I have examined the evidence and God has done this thing. And if he can do that thing, I bet you he can do that thing. I am so confident that he can also do that thing. Examine the evidence. Your faith goes up. It's a good time. These dudes have seen the evidence. They have weighed it up and they have faith that Jesus is willing to stop what he is doing 
to help them, just like he did the last time. And they have faith that he is able to help their pal, just like he was able to help all those other people from the same town that they're from, like people that they know and they trust and they've heard the stories from and they've seen the evidence from. They are sure that Jesus will be willing and able, merciful and mighty. And that's what our God is like, and he's class, and we love him for it. There's something really special and faith-building about examining the evidence. There's something really special and faith-building about hearing the stories of God's mercy and might. And there's something really special and faith-building about hearing those stories from your own dudes. And, And it's one of the reasons why I love share time so much, like so helpful, such a special and faith-building part of our services every week, I love it. So does faith just come out of nowhere? No, no it does not. And their faith didn't just come out of nowhere. It was built by seeing, hearing, witnessing and reflecting on the merciful, mighty acts of God. Built, yes, and then expressed through action. Digging and smashing a hole in someone else's house, interrupting a rabbi while he's teaching, Sending probably pieces of roof falling down into the room below onto the people in the room below, maybe even onto those hotshot Pharisees. Oh, cheeky. Those pals are great pals, great friends. And I'd like to think of their example for us from two different perspectives. Like first up, who, who are your pals? Like, who are your pals like this? Who are the people that you have got in your life who would smash a roof for you? Who are the people in your life who will do whatever it takes without giving up to get you closer to Jesus? A little while ago, um, Brian sent um, a few of us on like the leadership team a chapter from a book called I Give You Authority uh, for us to read, and I reread it like a couple of weeks ago, and um, in, in this one chapter, the dude is chatting about how um, it's important to have personal intercessors, so like people that you have specifically asked to pray for you with the intercession type of prayer, like one of the types of prayer that Brian talked about a couple of weeks ago, and when I reread the chapter, like this is the bit that jumped out at me this time, and um, I was thinking about how it would probably be good for me to gather up a few more personal intercessors and add them into the mix. And um, the author specifies that these should be people that you know, like people who are in your life and know what's going on in your life, and therefore they will know how to pray and what to pray for you because they see it and you will tell them, and they will, you, they will also be able to like, give you some insight into how God has been speaking to them about you and your circumstances personal intercessors, or like the people who will fight for you to get you closer to Jesus, your pals. Who are your pals? And I have been thinking that I would like to add a few more pals, because it's always fun to have more pals. And maybe you're just kind of starting off and thinking, like, maybe I would start to get, like, maybe, like, one or two pals. That's good. It's just moving forward in that is really, really good. Like, who are your pals? That's one way to think about their example. But another way is whose pal are you? Like there is a spiritual war going on. We've been thinking about that over the last couple of months and your dudes need you. So whose back have you got? 
And I am sure that you all did Brian's challenge from last week. And when you shared your prayer request with your Bible group, you did that challenge. And like, good, good for you. And I'm sure that when your Bible group shared their prayer requests with you, I am sure that you remembered to take the time to pray for them. But I know that sometimes, like sometimes when you share the request, it's almost like that little box is ticked in your brain. And sometimes doing the important part is the part that falls out, right? So I was kind of thinking, how good, really, like taking a cold hard look at myself, how good am I? actually making sure that I remember to have my dudes back. How good am I at battling for my pals? Because we need to have pals like these pals, and we need to be pals like these pals, because when we do, great things will happen. We'll be even more equipped and supported to be able to stand firm in that evil day, and we will see victory like these dudes saw victory, the pals did. Although at this point in the story, it's not the victory that they were expecting. They were expecting Jesus to heal their friend. So hearing Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, probably not what they were expecting. They were like, we examined the evidence and then we came here. Do you know that thing, Jesus? So not expecting it. And they weren't the only ones. Let's pick the story back up. We'll reread verse five. says, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why, why does he speak like this? Oh, he's blaspheming. Like, who can forgive sins? But God alone. And right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or say, get up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home immediately. He got up, took the mat and went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Something that's fun to notice when you're reading through the biblical narrative accounts account is that Jesus quite often sets up like contrast points. Do you know, there'll be a group of people who do this one thing, and then there'll be a group of people who do the complete opposite of that thing. And it draws us into thinking, well, how come they reacted like that, but they reacted like that? And all of a sudden, we're kind of thinking a little bit more deeply about this uh, text, and we're thinking about what we can learn from it. And that's what happens here. So while the pals were full of faith and expectation that Jesus can do all the things, the Pharisees we're bringing the doubt that Jesus can do all the things. Contrasting the faith with the doubt. And the pals are doing, doing everything that it takes. But the Pharisees are just sitting. And sometimes I love those like little incidental, like could be skipped over words that actually just carry so much weight and like lift so much, so fun. Like these guys are doing everything it takes. And men are just sitting Okay, 
And the pals are doing things very openly, publicly, boldly doing their thing. But the Pharisees are holding these things in their heart, trying to keep it a secret, like contrasting the bold public thing with the secret thing. And the story as a whole starts really busy, like the rapid writing that Mark does, like the busyness of how he writes conveys the urgency in the moment, do you know? And um, in that first section, even the setting like captures that, like think about this like house that's overflowing, like think about how cramped it's gonna be, uncomfortable, hot, you're trying to listen to Jesus, but what's that noise going on up there? And then like people start breaking a hole in the roof and like what on earth is going on up there? And then dust and dirt in your eyes and suddenly the sunlight breaks through. You're like, oh my gosh, it's so bright in here. And the writing style, the setting, the way the events are happening, they're so busy, gets unpredictable. And then comes verses six and seven. Just a couple of sentences about some dudes sitting and thinking. And you can feel the whole narrative slow down. Feels like slow motion. Feels like they're all kind of stunned by what Jesus said. You can almost feel the room go quiet as all the eyes drift over to the Pharisees to be like, yo, what are they gonna say about this? And then it kicks in again, like back to Mark's rapid thing, like right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit. And yo, Jesus goes after them like why are you thinking these things in your heart and like all of a sudden it's tension imagine the quietness of the room like broken by Jesus voice like cutting over everything and there is tone up in here by the way Matthew goes much further than just tone saying perceiving their thoughts Jesus said why are you thinking evil things in your heart tension Tension that comes for a reason. Like they're there being like, oh, did you hear? Did you, did you hear what he just said? Forgive sins, yikes. Yo, just who does he think he is? Like God, how very dare he say that? No, actually, how very dare you think that? And Jesus is up on them. Like he's getting his authority questioned and he is not cool about it. And why should he be? Jesus is God. He was a person for a while, but he is God. And there must have been plenty of times like this one. For example, when Jesus has just done something, eternity definingly kind for a dude and other people turn around and they're like, Are you kidding? Life on earth as a human probably could have been a lot easier for Jesus if he just ran around playing the God card a bit more openly all the time, but instead he chooses this and he has to deal with moments like this and is probably right. Do you know those people who would tell you that the sky is purple? Like just to add a contrarian view out there, like just to have their view projected out into the world dressed up as fact. I mean, I for one can't imagine what that would be like. What are you laughing at? No idea what he's laughing at. Do you know those people who would tell you, well, actually, the sky isn't blue. That's just the light from the sun refracting in through the Earth's atmosphere and it makes it per us perceive it as blue. And you're like, okay, cool, thanks, mate. 
the Pharisees are kind of the contrarian guys and the know-it-all guys all at the same time. Here's what I mean. So if we, uh, we think about their worldview of how they viewed like, physical impairments, the Pharisees take the view that someone who had a physical impairment found their life like that because of their own sin or because of their parents' sin. And they had so much influence and authority in society that this view was projected out there as fact and people accepted it as fact and it kind of been absorbed by like, society in general. And we can see that in John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Jesus, like as he's passing by, saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So if we take this view and we apply it to what we're looking at today, the Pharisees would have the view that this man's impairment was due to sin. So according to their view, Jesus' response, your sins are forgiven, is actually the logical response. We're kind of being like, hmm, that's not what I was expecting. But for them, that's a logical response. According to their view, sin is the real problem. So for, God, or for Jesus to fix that is to heal him. Fix the cause and not just the symptom, right? And also according to John chapter 9, we can see that this is not a view that Jesus held. But pals wanted the dude healed. I'm sure he himself wanted to be healed. So when Jesus forgives his sin instead, Jesus is kind of playing by the Pharisees' rules in curing the cause so that the symptom would be cured also. But they still take offense to it because they don't see Jesus as having the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus isn't even trying to be cool about that. He hits them up and he interrupts their little thought moment with a challenge, like knowing what they're thinking and knowing that it's time to act and give them some evidence that he does indeed have the authority to forgive sins by healing the man because they think he is like that. He's living with that impairment because of his sin. So if he can't be healed, that must be because his sin has been fixed as well. I find this so interesting. So interesting that Jesus chose to do this because he's God. He doesn't need to prove himself to any person. And there are a bunch of times in the Gospels where the Pharisees come demanding a sign and Jesus just like straight point blank refuses to their faces. So why now? Like what is it about now? Has Jesus all of a sudden remembered that he should care about his honor and his reputation? I mean, don't get me wrong. God cares about his honor, and so he should do. He's God. He should be honored. And God cares about his reputation, and so he should do. He's God, and it's not right when people say inaccurate and demeaning things about him. It would be perfectly okay for Jesus to defend his reputation and his honor here by proving his authority. And he does prove his authority. I just don't think that's the motivation that he held for proving his authority. I think that because, remember this story started as like with a display of great faith. Faith based on observing the evidence that Jesus presented by the things that he had done. And as I read this little bit, um, I see a rebuke to the Pharisees. Like, you should believe. I see him talking to those Pharisees and being like, yo, you think I'm a fake? You think I'm just going to say a thing that can't really be proven so that I can try and get away with being a fake? Well, here's some evidence for you, and you should believe it. You should have faith. 
like everyone else. It's kind of what goes unsaid. But I also see an encouragement here. I see him talking like those same words to the Pharisees, but in the presence of everybody else. And I see everybody else receiving the words to the Pharisees like a little bit differently because those people had come because their faith had been building. They'd seen Jesus do the things so they came to see what he got to say for himself now or see if he would do some more stuff. And I see Jesus in order to protect their growing faith, to give them some more evidence to protect that faith. He does not want their faith to be tainted by the doubt of the Pharisees. So in a moment where their faith is under attack, he gives more evidence for them to believe. And that seems like a really good idea. And in those moments when we find our faith under attack, it's a great idea for us to go and look for the evidence. It's all around us. I've bet you'll find it. I bet it'll help. I bet it'll help. Protect your faith and build it further. But here's the thing though. There is still that contrast point in this story because we can see the evidence like the pals did and choose to believe it or we can be like the Pharisees and see the evidence but choose to reject it. And I know what choice I would like to make for myself and I know what choice I would like for like all of the people like in this church and in this world to make. But we have got that choice. So make a good one. Look for the evidence, especially in the moments when your faith is under attack. Look for the evidence. Believe it. Build your faith. Even more faith. Even stronger faith. The story ends on what feels like another quiet moment. Um, the structure of the story is kind of like really fast and high-paced and frantic, calm. Really fast and high-paced and frantic, calm. And it ends with a quiet moment when the people hold their breath to see what is going to happen after Jesus has spoken to the man who can't walk. And they see a dude get up and he bends down and he picks up his mat and he at least tries to make his way through this crowded, crowded house, stepping over a dude, bumping into people with his mat. Oh, sorry, mate, I'm not really used to this, lol. Can you feel the room go quiet? Can you feel the awkwardness of the Pharisees still sitting there? Can you feel like people being like, well, I'm, I'm crammed in here. I can't even let them like, out of the way, like pressing themselves into the doorway to try and let a dude pass. Can you feel their eyeballs popping out as he walks past their jaws, hitting the floor? Everyone is stunned. They've never seen anything like it. What must that dude's faith have been like as everyone watched him walk out of that house? And what about his pals who did everything that it took and the benefit that their friend has is even more than they hoped for? Class. Talk about faith built. Talk about faith strengthened, even in a moment of attack. Strengthened to the next level, man. And God gets the glory at the end, as he should do, for the merciful and mighty things that he does the amazing, like this life changing for the good things that he does 
and the eternity-defining good things that he does. And when we keep looking to God and the wonderful things that he has the authority to do, the ability to do, and the deep love to do, our faith rises and he gets glory. And isn't that what we're going for? Like, this is what we're going for. So how are we going to get there? And, yo, I got to level with you. Like, I really tried to think of a challenge for this message, and I ended up with a little bit of a cop-out. Like, not really, but kind of, but not really, but kind of. And I was trying to think of something that would promote us praying together and, like, getting your dudes to pray for you and you praying for them so that then God will answer, like, he does that, and then the evidence gets presented to us, and then our faith goes up and he gets the glory. And I really tried to think of something like that that wasn't Brian's challenge from last week. And I just couldn't move past it. It just feels like the perfect one. It's achievable. It's repeatable. It's easy. You don't have to build up to it. You can just do it straight away. You can be intentional about it. It's beneficial to you. This just feels like the perfect challenge for this moment. And I really felt God calling to me to give up on trying to think of a challenge for this week because this is something important that he has for our church in this season that you are a good pal and that you have good pals so i guess i've got a challenge for you this week show up to your bible group with your prayer request about you already written down and prepared in advance and I guess the next thing that goes out of that is don't forget to do the actual praying, like be a good pal and have good pals. And this will be great. It will be great. We'll see the evidence of God moving around us. Our faith will go up and he'll get glory. Bingo. Everybody wins. Class. Love that. We're going, I'm going to pray and then we're going to move into a little time of response. And um, God, we bless you and we love you. How could we not? I mean, how could we not? I bless you for the things that you do, like things that are beneficial to us, like here in this life and, and things that are going to just like shape our eternity. You're just incredible in your mercy and in your might. And we look to you now, God, and I pray that our eyes can be opened. In your name, Jesus, open them to the weight and like the wonder of the evidence that's in front of us. Open eyes open hearts, open minds to see the things that you're doing because you're wonderful in all your ways. You're so good all day, every day. And we don't want to only see a bit of it. You're worthy of us seeing it all and giving you the glory and the praise that you deserve. Father, be glorified. You've done that before, do it again. Amen.